Welcome one and all to episode 165 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, I'm back on the free show after Ian Wharton was so gracious enough to come in and help you out last week. But before we get on to week two recap and a week three preview, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. You know, Ian turned down the uh, invitation to co-host permanently, so it's good to have you back. I'm glad that... uh... You, uh, you accepted my apology on that one, but uh, it was a fun show last week, all kidding aside, and we're at one, episode 165, but uh, actually, Seth, we've done way more episodes than 165, and if you are interested, you can subscribe to our Patreon for two bucks a month and get all of those bonus episodes. I think it's over 70 more uh, episodes that we've done. We've also got articles coming out. Uh, your article usually comes out on Friday, previewing some under-the-radar players to watch for the weekend. And then I always put out an article on Monday for uh, to recap you know, some of the most interesting box scores of the college football weekend and what that means as far as draft analysis and things like that. So uh, for 4 bucks a month, you can get access to all of the content that we ever produce. And if, you, if it's you know, not your thing, we appreciate you listening to this show all the time anyway. Yeah, we do. And uh, last week was an interesting week, too. Not a ton of great games. We're going to talk about it, that OSU uh, win over Arkansas State, right? Right. But a, no, but a bunch we're of... actually not. <laughs> what ended up being a bunch of great games, right? I mean, like there, was, on, there were a lot on, of On big, paper, there just wasn't that great. But, I mean, there ended up being a lot of good games. Right. And, and it was uh, really a lot of upsets. And that's what we're going to kind of focus on when we do our recap. And then uh, next week, uh, for, you know, our week three preview, we're going to talk about more about, like, ranked teams going against each other head-to-head, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it seemed like a tepid week of college football but what we saw were some pretty big surprises and uh but but we also saw like a big time college uh football quarterback matchup that's a matchup of two guys that are being highly touted and i think ian and i talked about these guys when we previewed week two so let's kick it off i mean will levis took kentucky down into the swamp and they beat florida and florida had jumped all the way up to 12th in the polls and uh they were not able to to defend the home field yeah it seemed like a massive overreaction to a good win over a good utah team but i mean we talked about how overrated the back 12 was and and they needed everything that they had to beat that utah team and then to come back and lay an egg like this was just I mean, I'm not going to say it's inexcusable because it's a new regime, you know, and it's it's just interesting that you think going into this with Richardson and and all the hype that you can get something and and Kentucky's good. Don't get me wrong; they're they're a good program right now. They're, right, they were they they were the only ranked team between the two when the season coming, started. Coming into the game, or yeah, coming into the season. Right. And, and so, but I think more than anything, 
it's how it went down. You have a you have a a lead at halftime, albeit a small one, you know, 16-13. You're up 16 to 7, you know, with four minutes to go before half. You allow them to go down and score. And then you get you get blanked in the second half. You end up losing 26-16. Your potential Heisman candidate, potential first round prospect quarterback, Anthony Richardson, who you and I both like as a prospect, but think he's at least a year away. Um, Yeah, we voiced skepticism. And I think last week when when Ian and I talked, we were talking about like the ultimate upside of this kid. Right. And and, uh, we talked about guys like Josh Allen coming out and how you bet on the upside and how the type of tape he put together week one where he showed dynamic running ability and gave you a glimpse of that, that rifle arm. Those were things, those were traits that you're going to gamble on. But when uh, we revisit the skepticism that you and I talked about when we previewed the SEC and things like that over the summer, uh, when we talked about the way too early mocks, two games, he has yet to throw a touchdown pass. We saw he was picked off twice in this game, right? Yeah. And Kentucky was able to completely neutralize the run threat. He uh, Richardson ran f- six times for four yards. Like they shut down the running threat. And yes, sacks get tallied into college rushing yards, but that's it. Just goes to show you what Kentucky was able to do. They were able to shut down Florida's most important player, and it does seem like Richardson. Might be a year away. He's. It's probably not going to be that way because I think he's still going to gain momentum as a draft prospect throughout the year. But it also puts a little ice on uh, the Billy Napier regime, where great win week one, respectable, I guess, loss. It, it brought two. him back to earth. It just brought him. Yeah, back to earth. but it brought him back to earth, right? And because Kentucky's, like you said, it's a good team. They're expected to do well this year, and they've got. A uh, quarterback who's hyped as a first-round pick. So, but let's, uh, let's talk about Will Levis real quick. Yeah, I mean, two games in, nothing blowing you away. Five hundred and five passing yards, four touchdowns, three the first game against Miami of Ohio, and two interceptions. Uh, this game under fifty-five percent completion percentage, um, two hundred two yards, one touchdown, one interception. He ran for a touchdown as well. He did run for a touchdown as well. He also took a bunch of sacks. Yeah, he he was sacked three times. Um, You know, he's got negative 30 yards rushing on the season, something Justin's talked about before. It, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get overly critical of one game uh, because they're going to play you know, a a plethora of good SEC teams that are going to um, give you an idea of what Kentucky is as a, as a team. Um, Obviously the next two games are kind of a joke, but after that, you know, they have, they have Ole Miss, uh, Tennessee and Georgia on the schedule. Um, So we'll get, we'll get to know Will Levis a little more, but, 
I will say this. If you're going to show up in only games against the Miami of Ohio's, the the Youngstown States, the Northern Illinois, I'm going to have a lot more questions than I will if if you play if you play better uh, against the Floridas, the the Ole Misses, the the Tennessees, the Georgias. Um, obviously, I think that's you- something Ian and I t- t- touched on when we were talking about Josh Allen last week. You know his uh, putrid record against Power Five programs when he was at Wyoming. So I guess I, I want to ask you, like, does does Allen's growth as a NFL quarterback change your mind about that? Because I'll answer as if you were asking me that question. I don't think it does when you're talking about draft evaluations. I think that's something Josh Allen, uh, you know, got into a great situation and he's kind of a unicorn in that respect. I don't think that's something I still want to bet on at, if I'm evaluating draft prospects. Not, not in the first round, let alone the top 10. Right. Um, and it's funny. I actually had this conversation with a buddy of mine this week about Josh Allen. And, and that's, you know, you and I have had this conversation on this podcast. Like the reality is with a guy like Allen, it was a lucky break that he ended up in Buffalo instead of Cleveland or with the Jets. Um, right. You know, any of those other organizations where there, there was no the stability. Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. Maybe the Arizona uh-huh. Cardinals, right? Like yeah. that's, that's what happened. Well, yeah. Especially that season when they, right. you know, had Steve Wilkes, you know, um, and he was a lame duck coach. Like he, he was fired right. after the season. So, and so that's the thing is like you, it's hard to say that you're going to develop a guy because how many, how many teams have the ability to actually sit and develop a guy. And, and that's what I think you have with both Richardson and Levis. Um, the other thing is Levis is a little older. Allen was a little younger coming out, obviously bigger stronger and yeah. faster like well i think again, levis is is actually probably similar in, ter- in terms of weight at least i mean he's yeah, maybe a little but, shorter yeah he's he's um, listed at six three um but that's the thing is like i'm not you know i'm not gonna bet on guys like that early in the first round and, and we've said the same right. thing about josh allen like if the bills took allen at 37 and he turned into this, people would just be like, oh, everybody missed it. it instead of being like, oh, no, he was drafted the right spot. He was able right. <laughs> to be be bad for a season. That, but that's the thing, too, is he wouldn't have gotten to be bad for a season. Like, he would not have gotten. You're exactly right. Like, he wouldn't have gotten the opportunity to fail had he not been a high first-round pick. And I, I guess maybe that's part of the calculus that goes into this. But you kind of outlined it when you talk about you know, Steve Wilkes versus a Buffalo situation where Buffalo could afford to draft a guy that they could wait on and Arizona really couldn't. No. And that's why they only, you know, traded up for Rosen when Rosen started to tumble. Uh, and that was just kind of a Hail Mary move, kind of similar to what the Bears did last year with Justin Fields. So these NFL teams, they do screw this up uh, a lot. I, I think. 
you know, he, you mentioned a key point when you said yeah, Alan was coming out. He was a redshirt junior when he came out. Uh, Levis is going to be a redshirt senior and turning 24 in June. Um, so that's part of the problem with, with that comparison. But what I will say about Levis to kind of flip this around and, and, and give this some positive spin this guy looks like a player that his team is really rallying behind. He's he seems to be he's a quirky dude. That's we've talked about that a few times. I talked about with Ian last week, but he seems to be a a guy, a player, who uh, a leader who p- people follow, and he's the right guy for the right time at Kentucky right now. And this is a big win. This is a big QB win that's for him huge. to go into the swamp. It is a and huge then win. celebrate and, with his uh, traveling fan base. And and to be fair, it's you know this isn't the exact same situation. But Emory Hunt talked about those moxie wins for like a Bo Nix. Like that's a uh-huh. moxie. That's a moxie win for Will Levis. Those like were imaginary moxie yeah. wins, but yeah, yeah. But like you said, you know, one, only one touchdown pass. But you got you know, oh, he ran for a touchdown too. Like that. That's that's and what he's you, missing. Wandale Robinson from last year, uh, his top running back suspended right now, right? Because of an off off season DUI. Is that correct? Yeah. So this is a, you know, a guy comes in again, they were trailing and they come back in that game and they win that game on the road against a team that just had a, an impressive win against a, a Florida team or I'm sorry, against a Utah team that, I think he scored like 70 points and against the FCS team this week. So the, not we don't want to take away anything from Will Levis as a college player. Like that was a big time win, but we want to temper, I think, the enthusiasm about him as a draft prospect, which I think we've kind of made that clear over the over the uh episodes that we've talked about him. Here, let me ask you just one more quick question on this. Did this win do more for Levis or the loss do more to raise the questions on Richardson? Um, to me or based on what I've seen, the reaction to this game? Both. Okay. So t- to me, it, it, I don't think it moved the needle on either player for me very much at all. Um, the questions I've had about Richardson are still the questions I have. I've said he's got to cut down on turnovers. He's got to become, he's got to show that he can be a a more consistent passer. And that that running dynamic that he has, while it is special, it's not going to be what makes him a special NFL player. With Levis, I'm not that high on him because of all the factors that we just talked about. You know, that he's, he's overaged, he's, not quite the athlete that some of these other guys that have been successful that he's being compared to. But I like, uh, you know, you got to like the grit, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's going to be on a, you know, he's got a firm handshake. He's, he's got grit. He can look you in the eye, but it doesn't really change it for me for, for the pundits. I don't, I think this is uh, going to be a talking point in favor of Will Levis, and I think they're ignoring it largely when it comes to Anthony Richardson because I have not heard him being heavily critiqued. Uh, I think they're still going to look for 
every opportunity to give him every benefit of the doubt until more and more evidence piles up. So Richardson, he's going to get a mulligan here, but if he has many more of these games, that's going to start to get people talking. Notre Dame drops to 0-2 with a loss to Marshall and uh, 0-3 under Marcus Freeman. Um, there's not a whole lot of redeeming qualities right now in the Notre Dame, at least the offensive side of the ball, outside of Michael Mayer, who is just a man amongst boys. Right. Um, dip, despite a putrid play of the quarterback and uh, suspect and he's offensive hurt line. now. Yeah, and suspect offensive line. He had eight receptions for 103 yards and, and – a touchdown um defensively Notre Dame's you know they've got some they've got some guys we've talked about Isaiah Foskey had another sack in the game um even you know he's got one sack on the season it'll be interesting to kind of follow because your buddy Marcus Freeman former former Ohio State great is uh I mean he's definitely not getting the results that were expected right now. And they fall out of the top 25. I feel like Freeman's already on the hot seat. Honestly, the bowl game loss he gets, he kind of got a pass on that because he was an interim head coach. Brian Kelly had gone on to LSU. Then he goes and loses to Ohio state. Okay. It's Ohio state. You could almost get a pass on that one, too. And, and you know what? They actually at least played competently for three quarters. What they did against Ohio State was they played stall ball, and it worked for a period of time until Ohio State just decided they were going to run it down their throats. Um, to their credit, Notre Dame's, they uh, kept the ball you know, out of C.J. Stroud's hands kind of in that game. And didn't allow him to just pepper them because Ohio State had to, at some point, conform to the style of play that Notre Dame was trying to to pressure them on. But this week, I mean, losing to Marshall, is a, that is a, a real black eye on Freeman's uh, tenure already. This is a game, they were ranked number eight in the country after losing to Ohio State, even though Ohio State dropped to three from two to three after beating Notre Dame, who was ranked fifth. So the pollsters even knew that Notre Dame was, that they had already overrated Notre Dame. They still left him at number eight. And uh, now Marshall has beaten you at your house. Like, that's that's really tough. Uh, Tyler Buckner, as I mentioned, He's got an injury. I think he's going to be out for a while. So they're onto their backup quarterback. And aside from Foskey and aside from Michael Mayer, like, what do they have? What what does Notre Dame have going for them? I think Freeman's in real trouble right now. He's probably going to get a second year, but this does not feel like a good hire right now. Don't they have, like, the top recruiting class in the country? We'll see. I mean, December's I mean, a long way away. <laughs> I guess that's right, right? But yeah, like yeah. I lots of time for people to decommit. Um and and know, I will say this, like Notre Dame as you and I have talked about many, many times. They've got a great strength and conditioning program and they put out some freaks 
uh, when it comes to the NFL, but they're going to have to win a game. I mean, losing to Marshall is unacceptable. That's yeah. critical. Yeah, and sorry, they're fourth right now, but they have the most four-star recruits out of anybody with, with 19 four-star recruits. Yeah. So I will say uh, this. Um, check out the Patreon because Seth wrote about one of the Marshall cornerbacks who played well um, over the weekend. He That was part of his preview for week two. And uh, in the box score scouting, two Marshall cornerbacks show up and they're relatives of some former and current NFL players that you will uh, be very familiar with. Yeah, blind squirrel nut type thing. Um, Alabama, they luck their way into a win over Texas. I mean, what are your thoughts? If I mean, Quinn yours is a year away from being draft eligible, but it felt like early in the game, if Quinn Ewers is playing, that Alabama probably just, just loses that game. Like, not just Texas ekes it out. The way Ewers was spinning the ball, he looked legitimately good. He did. And, you know, the thing about Bryce Young is he looked like a deer in the headlights for three quarters. And that, but much like the Auburn game last year, he turned it all on in the fourth quarter and made every single play when it counted. And uh, you look at um, that final drive where, the, where Bama took the lead, I, I, I took the lead. I think it was the final drive, right? Um, OSU transfer Ryan Watts was, came on a corner blitz for Texas and young just completely ducked the blitz and scrambled for like 15 yards and extended the drive. Eventually, Bama gets the easier field goal to take the lead, and that's how the game stood. But still, bottom line, um, Bama wins by a point to beat Texas with the backup quarterback, as you mentioned, because Ewers had gone out. But to Bama's credit, they shut down Bijan. He had only 40-some yards on 20-some carries. They, uh, Will Anderson got involved. He got his first sack of the year. And they just didn't quit. You know, Bama is, is just that team. You cannot ever count them out. Uh, Texas, I think, is going to get more credit for losing close than Bama's going to get for winning barely. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. But I think, uh, one of the things that Ian and I talked about was familiarity between coaching staffs and how that worked against Dan Lanning week one uh, when Oregon got obliterated by Georgia. But it seems to maybe have worked in favor of Sarkeesian this past weekend when Texas really was in the game all the way to the end against uh, Nick Saban. So I, I thought that was interesting. Sarkeesian. You think offense, but he seemed to have an idea how to attack Bryce Young. Yeah, and and it'll be interesting to see if it's something that can be followed. Um, you know, we talk about the recruiting classes. Texas is ranked number two behind Bama, so you you wonder how much a game like that with viewers knowing that Arch Manning is heading there, 
that'll, you know, that'll change up on things. Um, it'll be interesting to watch because you can't deny what Bryce Young did last year, but so much of the time it is a, what have you done for me lately? And, and that game was a gritty Alabama win, but I mean, they basically beat a hobbled backup by the skin of their teeth. Um, yeah. And, and it really kind of masks the first uh, three quarters where Bryce Young looked pedestrian, but then the fourth quarter, he looked really, really good. So what does that mean? I also think that Alabama this year lacks the juice that they've had in the past on offense. They don't seem. They've got juice at running back with Jameer Gibbs. But, but when... he, he just seems very. I I agree. Like he's he I wouldn't take him in the first round, but like he seems like a guy that has some giddy up to him. He he's been pretty dynamic in the past game. Right. But exactly. then they're missing something at receiver. They really uh, are. Corey Brooks is a good player, uh, but Tyler Harrell, the guy that uh transferred from Louisville, I think he's been hurt. He's in a walking boot, so he, we haven't seen him yet. And that's the guy who's supposed to be the four, four two guy that's supposed to uh, take over for where Jameson Williams left off. We haven't seen him yet. Yeah, so. and to to your point, you know, in two games, you've got Gibbs averaging over six yards a carry, but he only has one hundred and fifteen yards rushing because he's only gotten eighteen, you know, carries. Um, he leads the team in yards from scrimmage, but. That that's what's gonna be fascinating to watch with him. Just because I don't I don't know what to make of him. Like Well, he's he's uh a little bit on the small side when when it comes to backside. I mean, he's not small, I think he's over two hundred pounds, but he's not NFL feature back size, right? Yeah. Jonathan they Taylor. List him, so they list him at five eleven, two hundred pounds. Um yeah. And that's that's small for a Bama back when you consider uh, Josh yeah, Jacobs, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson. Those guys were over two twenty. Yeah, even Brian Robinson last year. Um, even Kenyon Drake was like two fifteen, two twenty. Yeah. So and, and Jace McClellan has kind of been that guy this year. Um, yeah. And I mean, he's got one big run. Let's be honest; like it's not like he's killing it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch going forward. Um, a team that. You know, we've been wanting to like, but they just can't figure out the quarterback situation. And then, man, they really blew it in their game against Appalachian State. That's uh, Texas A&M. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they were ranked sixth. Yeah, sixth. Second. Yeah, and Devin H., um, a chain just continues to be completely locked up. Their offensive line is not what it was last year. Um, well, a chain, I'm not sure that he's, I mean, he's an undersized running back prospect and that's right. something I think we'll talk about more when we get to the preview, um, because, but dude, they've he, got I a mean, big, and, and you're right matchup coming up, but he was averaging in his two years combined, he was averaging over seven and a half yards per touch, but it wasn't the feature guy. 
Isaiah right. Spiller and, was. And we heard these fantasy guys over and over that, oh, Isaiah Spiller stinks because, look, whenever A-Chain gets in, he gets eight yards a pop. Yeah. The off, those, those change of pace guys get the big pops because the workhorse guys set them up. And that's something that I think fantasy Twitter repeatedly misses on. So, you know, you look at it, Haynes King was a four or five star guy coming out. Um, he got hurt last year. This year, he just doesn't look like he's the guy. I mean, 6'3", 200 pound. They list him as a sophomore. It's a, He's a third year sophomore. He's just... He just hasn't taken the next step. Um, and and so it's interesting because you look at the Is he names, more of a runner than a He was supposed to be, point? and he just hasn't been dynamic. I mean, yeah. realistically. And, and um, the thing about A&M is their go-to guy, receiver, is a true freshman, Evan Stewart. Right, and so that's just it. They have, But they have another undersized guy in uh, Anias Smith. You know, that 5'10", 190 pounds. He's been a running back. He's been a receiver. Right. Dual threat type of guy. Huge, huge game uh, week one against a lesser opponent. Week two kind of disappeared. Right. And so that's going to be what's interesting is because these guys that were supposed to step up, and like you said, he had 164 yards receiving and two touchdowns against um, Sam Houston State, but against Appalachian State, he only had four receptions for 21 yards. So like, um, and they're supposed to be able to crush app state, right? Well, and and let's go back to Sam Houston state just real quick. And I know there was a huge, huge, huge delay, like a huge weather delay. I get hours, hours. They only won that game 31 to zero. I think at that point, you're just trying to get out of there. Uh, So I will defend them for that. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I agree with that to an extent. But at the same time, like, it, I think it bled into this game where you're like, you have you're, to question. They're kind of sleepwalking. Right. You have to question yeah. what they have and what they are because, like you said, they, they open up this week with a really interesting game. Um, Which we will preview on. To. Yeah, later on. Uh, Tennessee with a big overtime win over Pitt. Hended hooker. I don't um, what I mean, first off, what do you even make of that game? Like, were you surprised to see it that good? I think it was two closely matched teams. Um Pitt was still ranked ahead of Tennessee, so this qualifies as an upset. Hendon Hooker, you know, super senior or whatever he is, he's gonna be twenty five in January. But uh, another good game for him and the key Cedric Tillman is, I think, a a very excellent senior wide receiver prospect at Tennessee. And they hooked up many times, I think uh, nine times, over 100 yards for Tillman. But most importantly, 28-yard touchdown in OT to get that win. I think Pitt is still a tough, well-coached program. So this is a good win for Tennessee. And another, you know, like I said, a big game for that Hooker and Tillman tandem. So, uh, yeah, I like I like what Tennessee's got going. 
Yeah, and and you know what what are your thoughts on Tillman because he's going to be a twenty four year old rookie. Um, he had the break a late breakout, but it's tough when you talk about a guy that kind of redshirted his you know twenty eighteen year. Um, didn't get a ton of run twenty nineteen, and then dealt with COVID in twenty twenty. And so, like twenty twenty one was really that first year. Um, and he produced sixteen point nine yards per reception, twelve touchdowns. This year, he's on pace for even more. Obviously, it's two games, so we're not going to go too deep into it. But he's on pace for like fifteen, sixteen hundred yards this year. Let's just yeah. say he hits twelve hundred plus. And to clarify, he's actually only going to be twenty three. Okay, he's going to be twenty. He turns twenty three in April. Okay. I read that wrong. I can't do math. It's too bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, but I, I like him. I think he's a good prospect, and I and think if he measures know, in at, at a legit six three two fifteen, does is that going like if he if he's one of these guys that uh, who is the guy out of uh, Minnesota a couple of years ago was it Rashad Bateman that was Bateman? supposed to be yeah. six two two twenty five and then and he was like six one two fifteen or something two no he no wasn't he like five eleven one ninety five no I'm, no I'm pretty he was over six feet but yeah he did weigh in under uh, two hundred no I think Tillman's legit in terms of measurements uh six two six three about two ten two fifteen I think he is he looks that big. He looks bigger than Bateman did. Um, we, we I take on him as I like him as a prospect. I think he's. I think he can be a uh, a day two prospect, late second, early third. I think he's going to test okay, and uh, the production in the SEC does not hurt. Like he's, he's he looks legit to me. I don't think he's a first rounder by any means. If he was, he would have come out last year. But uh, he looks good. I think I think he's a legit player. We can split the difference. He came in at six foot one ninety. So Bateman, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, that's the Tillman's thing is like, bigger. He it, um, it's just always Donovan hard. Peoples, when, go ahead. I was gonna say Donovan Peoples Jones was like six two, uh, two two oh five two ten, and uh, Tillman to me looks like that size. And you know, Peoples as Jones as, was not not productive in college, and that's why he felt the sixth round. But he actually. Turns out he's a pretty good player. Tillman is productive in college. And with that SEC tax that you and I have talked about for many, many years, that's going to push Tillman up into, I think, the, like I said, late second, early third round range, provided he doesn't just completely flop in the testing. Yeah, and and that's the thing is the big thing is as long as he measures in, like you said, over that six foot and 205 pounds like it'll be fine you just don't want to see him shrink to six foot and be less than 200 pounds then you're like okay you better blow up the combine um wisconsin and maybe one of the this is going to be a strong statement one of the most disappointing players in wisconsin history graham mertz lose to Washington State. This that's is, rough because honestly, like Mertz played pretty well in this in game. the first half. Yeah, and if Wisconsin makes two field goals, they win that game. But 
Wazoo did a great job shutting down Wisconsin's offense. And, you know, I watched this game, and I thought that Wisconsin's coaching staff got too conservative in the second half where they tried to run the ball all the time without, you know, they did not score in the second half. And Wazoo did, and that, that was the difference. So, yeah, and it's it's just interesting to look at Mertz because he's just like we've talked about before. He's never improved from that that redshirt freshman year where you're like, oh, this really? Is that a redshirt freshman game where yeah. he threw five touchdowns. Yeah, and so I mean, it, that's a but really still here. He threw two touchdowns, only got picked off once, and threw for over two hundred yards. Much of that was in the first half, but right. Then they just kind of got super, super conservative, and Wazoo played great defense and uh, ended up winning that game. I think the other thing we have to talk about is the yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. One that, but two, their offensive line. Um, I think Washington State had six sacks in the game. I'm double checking. Um, I think they had six sacks in the game. That's not something we're used to. No, right. it's uncharacteristic. I mean, Wisconsin's known for pumping out linemen. Um, you know, Braylon Allen, spectacular sophomore running back prospect, he was held to under five yards of carry as well. So it, I think that is, I think he hit it on a key note here. I think Mertz has actually played okay through two games for Wisconsin, but the line really let him down, especially in the second half. And, um, you look at Braylon Allen, this is a kid who's averaged it pretty sure over six yards of carry throughout his career, and, and and he got kind of held in check. Wazoo came to play, and you know, props, props to them. And uh we talk a lot of crap about the Pac twelve, but the Pac twelve came into a tough place to play. Madison, Wisconsin, it's not an easy place to get a win. No, it's, it's and they not. got one. And they're the I think the crazy thing is Washington State's only scored 41 points on the season. Like, that's unheard of for that team. Um, They've only given up 31 points. Uh, And quite frankly, Wisconsin scored less than Idaho did. So. Wow. And as the home team. Yeah, it's just, it's a bad But again, as I said, if they make those two field goals, they win that game. It's tight, but they still win it. So, you know, I still see Mertz is, um, I think he's a redshirt junior now. I think he still has a year of eligibility, um, probably thanks to COVID. But, um, yeah, he, he hasn't really delivered like you want him to. But I, I really struggle to blame him for this loss because we've seen games in the past where he's turned it over a bunch of times. That's not what happened this time. This time what happened was the coaching staff got hella conservative and Wazoo's defense just came out and uh, played lights out really in the second half. Uh, Let's talk about this last one because it has wide-ranging implications. Georgia Southern beat Nebraska in Lincoln and that marked the end of the Scott Frost era in Nebraska. That was enough. They had seen enough at that point. And I always think in these situations where 
you fire a coach after three games. Why didn't you fire him in January or, or December? It's an interesting thought. And I mean, obviously it's not accurate. Um, at least I hope not, but there was a tweet that read, um, Scott Frost knew if he got fired after, I think it's October, that seven and a half million that he got goes away. And so he did everything he could to get fired before, (laughs) or sorry, October. Yeah. So he did everything he could to get fired in September. (laughs) And I don't think that's accurate, obviously. It it can't be because the college would have fired him in December, if that was the case, right? But they would never have taken that chance. I don't know, man. Like this is a, a baffling situation. Um, you know, their quarterback, Casey Thompson is playing decently. Um, right. the Texas transfer, you know, he's, he's playing. Okay. I wouldn't say great. He, you know, um, they got a running back in Anthony Grant, who's a fifth year junior um, that was started at Florida State that's averaging over six yards a carry. I mean, he's having a nice season. But and then and then they have the wide receiver who uh, Marcus Washington, the other Texas transfer. He and he and uh, Casey Thompson came over together. Who's doing okay this year i mean again like nothing spectacular but georgia they just Southern, couldn't I'm, stop anybody no and that's the thing is like i think and i definitely could be wrong but have hasn't that been like who scott frost has been actually able to recruit well as like defensive players at least in the recruiting rankings well, he just hasn't really been able to recruit anybody well. And the, the recruits that he had when he got there, a lot of them ended up leaving and going elsewhere while he tried to get his bearings. And I don't know what that says. Like, what was it about him that made them want to leave? Were his practices too intense? Or was he just a guy who wanted to get his own guys in? Whatever the case is, Scott Frost just it was Couldn't a colossal be. failure because yeah. remember he came there from UCF and you know they won their fictitious national championship under Scott Frost like he and you know I was talking to our producer Rob before we went live but um you can win at a place like UCF without being a great recruiter but you can't win at Nebraska in the Big Ten without being a great recruiter. And you look at uh, Purdue, you look at Minnesota, those other teams in the West division there who are lesser teams, lesser programs, but guys like P.J. Fleck and Brom in, in uh, Purdue, uh, Jeff Brom, right? Those guys are adept enough at recruiting that they are having you know, a modicum of success in at those lesser programs. And Scott Frost never caught that lightning in a bottle. He was just trying to win a certain way and it didn't work. And 
they lost so many close games over the, the years where he was a coach. It was, um, you know, it became an embarrassment to Nebraska program. And uh, it was it's unfortunate because when he was at UCF, he did seem like he had a coach. Uh, he, he was a coach on the up and coming, but he just wasn't good. Uh, not in Lincoln. So it now is the joke that... is. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the joke now is that he's going to become an offensive uh, analyst at, at Alabama to revive his career. Right. Well, the crazy thing is he was at Nebraska for, for four, five full seasons and then started this one. Um, so, and obviously the COVID year, they only played eight games. So, but if, so if you throw in the three games this year and, and the eight games, that's, that almost gets you to the, normal 12 games he won 16 games in five seasons at nebraska he won 19 games in two years at at central florida yeah so and i just went through it like obviously the 24 7 stuff's not the be all end all but when you just look at from a football commit standpoint from from 18 until um 2021 they had top 25 recruiting classes and so again that's not to say that means that they should finish you know top 15 but you look at the guys that they recruited we talked about adrian martinez before right like he was supposed to be a big time recruit we talked about um was he even a frost recruit though he was in 2018. He was his oh, first okay. class. Martinez, uh, Cam Jurgens, like those guys were all, and then they got these guys. Uh, you know, he, you mentioned a guy earlier, Wondell Robinson was a recruit to Nebraska, ended up at uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. Like yeah. they just weren't able. They were. They got all these four star guys, a lot of four star guys, and they just were never able to do anything with them. And it's interesting because to your point, like it, it's obvious that he wasn't a bad coach because you don't win. You don't go 13 and zero no matter what school you play at. If you're a bad coach, like you just, it's n- nearly impossible to go 13 and zero. Um, and you look at the teams they beat. I mean, they beat, uh, they beat Memphis late when Memphis they beat was Auburn that year. Right. And, and then they beat Auburn in the, in the, uh, Peach Bowl, which is, you know, when it was moved to one of the New Year's, what, six bowls? Yeah. And and so it it's interesting that he just has never figured it out at Nebraska. And and I would love to like have conversations with those guys of why it doesn't work out because is it recruiting or is it development of recruits or is it just that you can't get guys to buy in? at a big school like that. I, I, I just would, because we've seen it at Texas for the last decade. Now it seems like Sarkeesian's getting it back, but like we've seen that at Texas, um, Michigan until Harbaugh got there. Like it's really interesting how these, these blue blood programs can, I mean, we're seeing it with Florida now, Florida state can fall out of favor that quickly. Week Michigan three was a, about to fire Harbaugh a couple of years ago too. I know um, it's it's last crazy. Last year bought him some time. 
Yeah, and and they're off to a decent start again. Uh, they look three, good. They look good. Week three is here. Uh, we've got Let's some intriguing games. Yeah, uh, Penn State at Auburn. Penn State's three point favorites on the road in the SEC. They're twenty second now. Yeah, Jory Porter has just been playing out of his mind. Um, I'm, you know, I I'm always cautious with the overhype of players and but through two games porter is playing at a very high level six pass breakups in two games and he gets to face auburn quarterback tj finley who likes to throw the ball to the other team yeah three picks through uh two games for tj finley but uh both these teams are coming in two and oh um but i i agree i think penn state is the favorite here and i would take the cover uh, Porter has been terrific. They have a freshman running back who's lights out. Uh, he he looks like a Jonathan Taylor light almost. And uh, Sean Clifford is not a great prospect, but he's doing enough to get wins. He led him to a game-winning drive against Purdue a couple weeks ago when it looked like they were going to lose. So I I like Penn State here covering the three-point spread. This is early in the week, so that spread might change. But, uh, yeah, TJ Finley is just one of those guys, too. When he was at LSU, he looked like he was going to be a dude, and it, it has not materialized. So I don't think Auburn has the guns to beat Penn State, even though they're at home. The one name I'll mention on Auburn to kind of watch, because it'll be interesting to see if they get matched up at all, is Javarius Johnson, Auburn's leading wide receiver. Um, like you said, Finley's not great. They've got 22 completions in the two games. So it's not like, it's not, I'm sorry, they have 27 total completions because Robbie Ashford's thrown a couple, but he's also thrown a pick. They have four interceptions and one touchdown pass on the season. But Javarius Johnson's kind of their main guy. I want to double check because he's listed at 5'10 and 159 pounds. So. Somebody, uh, somebody, let us know if that's accurate because that they've got Tank Bigsby though. He's played pretty he's, well. He's done really, weeks. really well. Almost seven yards per carry. Yeah. Um, and then their short yardage guy is uh, Jarquiz Hunter, who is a sophomore, but he's got four touchdowns in two games. So, uh, Tank's only got three. I wonder if he's going to start getting frustrated that he's got to do all the work and then Hunter gets all the glory. Yeah, um, I think it's just been a matter of matchups, but um, Bigsby's the guy, you know, when they're playing a team like Penn State, he's going to be the guy they lean on. Uh, we get BYU coming off a really impressive win over Baylor against... They, BYU gets a huge jump from that win, going, I think, from like 24 to 12. And And they take on Oregon, who... I, here's my question. I'm not. We both said Oregon was super overrated coming into the season, and then they obviously got their doors blown off in the first game. Yeah. But why drop them out of the top 25? They're still they're 25th. Right well, now. now they are. But last week weren't they out of it before they beat Eastern Washington 900 to seven? <laughs> I I don't recall because when we taped last week w- with Ian, um, the AP had not done the poll because it was a Monday night game that week. But what I do know is 
Oregon is coming in at 25, and they're favored here by three and a half. And we don't really know who Oregon is, do we? Because no. they they got beat 49-3, to and then they turn around, they get to play an FCS team and get healthy, and they win like 70-14. to So, which, yeah. This isn't Georgia. They're playing BYU. It's an independent team. But BYU has two good wins under their belt, uh, knocking off Baylor last week. And, and, they, and, got and they beat up on left. South Florida really bad. I mean, they, they beat yeah. up South Florida. Yeah, um, so, so that's kind of – you think about independence outside of Notre Dame, you think about like they're kind of on par with the group of five teams. So BYU goes and smokes a group of five team, and then they beat a Power Five team on the road, right? Yeah, I and mean, that, and that's the. It's crazy that, I mean, I know it's at Oregon, um, and that's a tough, but tough uh, venue. You know, we talked about Madison uh, going to Eugene is no joke. Those fans are going to be hyped. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm gonna take what's Oregon minus three and a half. Um, I'm gonna take. I'll take BYU to cover. I don't know who I'm picking to win this game though. But I'm. I would take BYU three or by three or to lose by less than three. Yeah, all they have to do is lose by uh, less than four, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I agree with you on this. I think BYU, um, they've got a great left tackle prospect in Blake Freeland. He looks really good so far this year. Uh, Jaron Hall, their quarterback. We talked about him before. He's an overaged quarterback prospect, but he's played very well. And they've got a transfer in Brooks, a running back transfer, who's also played well to this point. They always have. BYU always has decent prospects in Oregon. I. You know, I haven't figured out who their go-to guys are yet under uh, Dan Lanning. So, and I know that he's still sticking with Bo Nix. Yeah, and Nix played real well against Eastern Washington, but he right. played very poorly against Georgia. Um, this is a, this is going to be a really close game. I could see Oregon eking out a, a, a win here, but I like BYU. I think BYU is actually going to pull out the win on the road and even though they're highly more highly ranked it would qualify as an upset because they're not favored in this game uh seth kansas at houston we're probably we've never talked about kansas before we might not again but the jayhawks are 2-0 and for the first time in 11 years and that year <laughs> They started two and zero, and then they lost ten in a row to close out. So they finished two and ten. Um, but something's different about Kansas with Lance Leopold as well, the yeah, coach. They have one of the ten best coaches in college football. Yeah, according to PFF, if if you've listened to the show a couple of years for the last couple of years, you know what we're talking about. But uh, I'm intrigued by their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, and I wrote about him in uh, the article this week on Patreon. But three touchdowns and no turnovers last week as they pulled off a uh, overtime win against West Virginia against JT Daniels. No relation. 
But Jalen Daniels, uh, a transfer, I think, from uh, Tennessee State, if I'm recalling correctly. But he's been with Kansas for, for a few years. I think he's in his third year with Kansas. And he's the surefire starter right now. He had 85 yards rushing also last week. He's a guy who can beat you with his arm and his feet. I'm intrigued by him. He's listed as a redshirt junior. Uh, and from a program like Kansas, you don't anticipate a guy like that declaring early. But he's a name worth knowing going forward. Kansas is at Houston this week, and they're 10-point dogs. Can they break this spell? You know, even when Les Miles was there, they never won more than three games. Can Kansas, are they turning around the program? It'll be interesting because, you know, Dana Holgerson in at Houston has got them, you know, humming along, kind of winning games, but they lost this week to Texas Tech. Um, and, and yet, like you said, they're somehow still the favorite in this game. It's interesting because, I mean, Houston barely beat Texas San Antonio. And then they lost to Tech, who's, you know, they're having a, a decent start to their season, but it's not like they're anything to write home about. Their wins are over, you know, Murray State. Um, I, I'm intrigued by this line. Is it just that we don't buy Kansas at all? Or just historically we don't buy Kansas, so we're we're gonna let Houston be ten point favorites. Well, you I'm know, taking... Houston was Houston was ranked twenty fifth when they got knocked off last week. So is this still is this some take lock that Houston was ranked when maybe they shouldn't have been? Has Holgerson really been that good in his last couple stops? Or is he kind of living off reputation and and mullet? You know, I'm not sure. Ten points is a lot. When you look at, at what Kansas did at Westford, they were on the road last week, right? Kansas was? Yeah. I got to look this up. Yeah, they were. Yeah, so Kansas on the road beats West Virginia 55-42 in overtime, which is a real weird overtime score because Kansas got a pick six against West Virginia in when West Virginia had the ball. The, I think the college rule calls for both teams have to get the ball. So Kansas gets a pick six and then gets an offensive score, and that's why you have that double-digit win in overtime. So. You know what? I'm going to take Kansas to beat the spread here. I am too. And and here's the thing, and we're getting way, way ahead of ourselves, but there's a legitimate chance that they could only have one loss heading into their game against Oklahoma in October. Because after Houston, they go Duke, Iowa State, and Texas Christian. So TCU. Okay. But Iowa State has, has played pretty well early on. They have. They have. And Duke just beat Northwestern. Yeah, you never at, know. What to, at Northwestern, I think you never know what to buy with any of these teams, though. Right. I mean, so, and and all three of those games are at home. So this will right. be a big one because it's at Houston. I'm going to take Kansas to cover again. I'm not going to pick anybody straight up, but uh, and then I think we got to mention. I agree that, with you. 
I, I, I think we do have to mention um, Houston pass rusher Derek Parrish has four and a half sacks. You talked about him in the article. He had four this and a half sacks in the game, in the game against Texas Tech. Which is His good. Car- yeah. <laughs> Which is good. His but career also- high was five for a season going into yep. that game. I was going to say, you also have to remember he, he got to rush the passer literally every down because <laughs> Texas Tech doesn't believe in running the football, right? Um, but yeah, so he's got five sacks on the season. And then it's interesting. I wrote about him too on Patreon. So if you want to know more about Derek Parrish, go ahead and it's, subscribe. And, it's interesting uh, with Kansas because their leading receiver in two games has 106 yards. And that's 6'4", 170 pound Quentin Skinner, who is a junior. Um, and he only has four receptions for 106 yards. So like, I'm really interested to see who they are and what they are. Cause I mean, as you mentioned, Daniels has 408 yards passing. So he's just spreading the ball out all over the field. Um, he's spreading the ball. He's running the ball. He is running the he's ball. He's kind of their offense. He is. But Lance Leopold, me, yeah. his last stop before this was Buffalo, right? So he's, he's kind of used to having one star player. And ride that guy in uh, in Buffalo. That was uh, running back Jared Patterson, right? And he's uh, he is one win away from setting his career high of wins at Kansas. Uh, next up is number eleven Michigan State at Washington. Why is Washington uh, favored by three? I, I was going to ask you the same question. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about the players um, because that's what we do best. But Jalen Berger is the transfer from Wisconsin and he has become, he is the Spartans running back one. Although Jarek Broussard is still getting plenty of action. Uh, True to form, Michigan state's not throwing to their running backs, So only one catch between these two guys and it belongs to Berger. But um, Jalen Burgers rushed for 227 yards, 6.9 yards a carry and four TDs in two games. He's definitely the uh, guy they're going to more early and often. And then Broussard is the player who's who's spelling him later in the games. Michigan State's had a couple easy wins. Um, they've got a defensive end who's a transfer, uh, Jacoby Winman. And he's got five and a half sacks and six and a half tackles for loss. And four forced fumbles in two games already. This guy played off the ball linebacker before coming to um, MSU and becoming a pass rusher, but just putting a phenomenal uh, work in the past, in the first couple of games, four sacks in their first game of the season. And then Washington has a familiar face at quarterback that Spartan fans will know. And it's Michael Penix, the transfer from Indiana. And he's been pretty good uh, for Washington. 340 yards a game uh, is his average in the first two games. He's thrown six total touchdowns, one pick. So Penix kind of picked – he sucked last year, to be frank. But in 2020, he was playing uh, pretty well before he got injured. And Indiana looked like they were having a a kind of magical season. Penix looks back to uh, 2020 form. so. Maybe that's why the odds makers are favoring 
the Huskies, but I still would probably take Michigan State in this matchup. They're going to have to stop uh, Jalen McMillan from Washington, who has nine receptions for 214 yards and three touchdowns in the two games. Um, He's a redshirt COVID sophomore. Um, So just a name. They're always they're always interesting with their height weight. They list him at six one one eighty, so he'll be somebody just to kind of follow along with. But you know, when you're talking about over a hundred yards and and over a touchdown a game in his first two games, like you said, he's he's been Michael Penix's you know favorite weapon thus far. Um, and then you know, defensively, they're they're getting a lot from a lot of different guys. Um, Asa Turner is a corner or I, I guess he's a safety. He's a big guy, six, three, two Oh five. Um, he's got two interceptions already on the season. He had two all of last season. Um, again, be interesting to see what he really weighs. And then, you know, like you said, Braylon Trice has two and a half sacks on the season for Washington. So, Michigan State doesn't throw the ball a lot, but uh, Peyton Thorne hasn't been very good he so hasn't. far this year. Less than sixty percent. I think they would completion. like him. Yeah, I think they would like him to throw more um, because they have um, because they have uh, Jaden Reed. Yeah, they got Reed, is, and then the young kid Col- Keon Coleman, who's played pretty right. well too, opposite Reed. And then, like you said, they've got two dynamic running backs. And it's almost like they have to protect everybody from Peyton Thorne, who's thrown three interceptions in two games. Against, yeah, against bad competition. Let's let's be honest. The thing is, Thorne played. You know, he had a pretty good year last year as college quarterbacks go. I don't think either one of us is as high on him as a pro prospect, but no, he's no. definitely looked like he has regressed as a. a as far as uh, quarterbacking it goes, he doesn't have, you know, Kenneth Walker is probably a better running back than the two guys he has this year. Although I think Berger is pretty good. And I think he can probably do what Kenneth Walker did, or at least uh, close to it. And Jaden Reed, you know, one of the guys that uh, Thorne's missing is Jalen Naylor, who was more of their underneath guy last year. That Maybe they don't have that. Because Reed was the over-the-top guy. You know, he's this uh, skinnier guy, speedier guy. And they haven't found, I, I don't think, the uh, proper complement for Reed in the past game this year. But, you know, maybe I missed it, but I, I'm taking Michigan State to cover. I think they're going to win this game. What do you think? I do too, but maybe we're just downplaying how much better Michael Penix looks. I mean, let's be frank. We haven't watched it because uh, they were playing nobody thus far. And so this will be the first like big test where we'll get to see how he's looking. That's Um, kind of my basis for the pick because when he played in the big 10 last year, he was, he just did not look himself. And uh, I think about that first game against Iowa, he threw four picks uh, last year, and he should have thrown six. And I don't think he's ever recovered for it. I don't trust Penix 
to keep up this production. I think Michigan State's going to win this game. Finally, Miami at Texas A&M, who we've talked about. And Texas A&M gets, is the favorite by five and a half. This and is that's crazy. because Miami has only beat Bethune-Cookman and Southern Miss. I mean, well, that's... I, I mean, that's better than losing to Appalachian State. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> but I, I actually think App State... Well, I, App State's world's better than Bethune Cookman, and uh, probably quite a bit better than than Southern Miss. But to Miami's credit, they've spanked those two teams. So Tyler Van Dyke has been really good so far, but he hasn't thrown for many touchdowns. Uh, he's completing over seventy three percent of his passes for four hundred and forty six yards, only three touchdowns, one interception. The reason why is because Henry Parrish, the Ole Miss transfer, they're running back 5'10", 190, is kind of going crazy. He has 205 yards in, in the two games with four touchdowns. And then their other running back who, I again, I need to see like an ID or something. Thaddeus Franklin Jr., he's a sophomore, so he's not draft eligible, but I just want to mention him because it's just an absurd baffling thing they list him at six foot 240 pounds um and he's averaging six and a half yards per carry on 21 carries and has three touchdowns so seven touchdowns from their running backs uh they have the the kind of dynamic underneath guy uh xavier restrepro as their number one receiver quote unquote I, I don't know. He's he's listed as a junior. Um, we'll see. He, he's probably going to be back, you know, and I would assume at this rate Van Dyke's going to be back next year. Um, this is, like you said, this is their first test. I mean, they've got two good wins statistically, uh, but they've got to show something, and, and I think Van Dyke needs to – I mean, I guess when you're scoring points, who cares how you're scoring them, right? And on the flip side, Texas A&M needs to get A-Chain and, and Smith back on track. Like, they, right. have to, they have to show something here, don't they? Well, as we touched on, Aeneas Smith played really well the, the first week, uh, got shut down this past weekend. A-Chain has yet to show us that he can be the go-to guy, and I think that's why we're seeing uh, why people like you and I were higher on Isaiah Spiller than some people in the draft community and fantasy Twitter because they thought that for some reason that uh, Jimbo Fisher was just playing the lesser back and just holding A-Chain back. But I think A-Chain's just not. He doesn't look ready for prime time yet. So is he going to be a, go- a go-to guy or is he a guy who's only a complimentary player and at this is his junior year. Like, it's his time to shine, and we haven't seen it yet. Uh, Aeneas Smith, I think, could have declared last year. Uh, smartly went back. But, uh, you know, I say that kind of hedgingly because I'm not sure this year is going to mean that much for his draft stock. But 
if he can be more like he was week one than he was week two, then he's he's going to rise in the ranks. Um, He's more of a slot receiver at this point than a running back. But the fact that he can do both and that he has done both is uh, is valuable and is noteworthy when it comes to draft evaluations. So A&M being five-and-a-half-point favorites, they're ranked 24th. (laughs) They're home. But Miami's ranked 13th. I kind of think Miami's going to beat them. Yeah, I'm with you. I I mean, I just can't buy them until they actually do something. I I don't know how how you feel about it. Well, Van Dyke seems like the better quarterback in this game, and then they seem like they have. Yeah, they seem like they have better weapons. And you know, I think Jimbo is a good coach, but um, yeah, they at this point, I think Miami seems like they have better weapons. Maybe I'm misjudging, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if I am, because full disclosure, I never actually bet on these games. <laughs> I just I make predictions. I, I bet player props more than I bet uh, games. But yeah, I, I, I just, this feels like, it's not like I feel like Miami's all the way back. Or that I feel like Texas A&M stinks, but I just feel like Miami has the edge here uh, in terms of the offense. And who's the, where are the dynamic players on on the A&M defense that are going to shut this down? Yeah, that's a that's where I'm at. I just don't buy A&M until they're going to show me something, and they really haven't yet. Um, did you have a hot take? Did you? I do. Good. Thank God. All right. So <laughs> I, I'm. This is uh, from one of your uh, your your friends, your people, your uh, Ohio State Browns fans or Ohio State fans. Ohio State. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So you keep that same energy you came at Ohio State with last week for Alabama. Bryce Young threw the ball 39 times for only 214 yards, and 74 of those yards was to a running. That that comes in after what we talked about earlier, the uh, gritty. Um, I mean, the the end of like you said, the fourth quarter from Bryce Young was was uh, impressive. But it it's interesting to see the dynamic unfold on Young versus what we saw last week with Stroud that he was struggling right against Notre Dame, who was ranked number it, five it, at the time. I don't, and you know, if if uh, for those listeners who listened to uh, to me and Ian last week, um, we didn't really think Stroud struggled. We just thought that Notre Dame did a really good job keeping the ball out of his hands, and then the whole kind of uh, flow of the game changed in the second half, where Ryan Day started to have a lot of success rushing the football with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams, and he just kind of rolled with that. I I don't really see where C.J. Stroud struggled. I do think that Bryce Young struggled in the first three quarters of that Texas game. I don't even think that's arguable. Do you? 
No, and I said earlier, I truly do think, I mean, we'll never know, and it's one of those things that you can just argue about into the ether, but I truly do think that if Quinn Ewers is healthy, that Texas wins that game. Like, I'm not sure I would even go that far, but um, what I will say is just objectively speaking, I don't think that what Stroud did against Notre Dame was even close to the struggles we saw to Bryce Young in the first three quarters of that game. And, I mean, the kid, like I said, the kid pulled a rabbit out of his hat in the fourth quarter. He was lights out. Like, they could not stop him. They they would pressure him. He'd duck it. He ran. He threw, like, he was just, he looked like the Heisman winner that we know. But that's why earlier I compared it to that Auburn game because it's one of the couple times where he got shut down. And, uh, what, Stroud missed a couple plays? And I think that game had a lot more, that OSU-Notre Dame game had a lot more to do with the play calls than with Stroud's actual performance. But Bryce Young had hiccups. And so I agree, I guess, with the, the take that where where was this energy? I mean, yeah. am I did I mishear the take? Is that No, no, that's what it is. I mean yeah, that, and, and I'm I'm with you. Like it's just interesting. That's why I said Young gets a lot of leeway. And and he was the Heisman winner, so like but you know, they got Embarrassed in a national championship game by Stetson Bennett. Um, Who, by the way, had another 300-yard game. So we're going to have to start talking about him as a Heisman leader at some point. Oh, I thought you were going to say number one overall pick, my bad. No. (laughs) No, my God. (laughs) So anything else before we get out of here? Just thanks to everybody who listens. Uh, We really appreciate you. And um, seriously, uh, go subscribe to our Patreon for two bucks a month. Get the extra bonus episode that comes out to pretty much four extra episodes a month. And uh, we'll give you a lot of good names to keep tabs on throughout the season. When you get to draft season, you're going to be way ahead of the game. And if you're uh, generous enough for the four buck a month tier, the generational tier, that's where you get the uh, extra couple articles that we do. And then in draft season, uh, we get way more into it. A lot more things get, get posted in, into that generational tier. So even if you don't want to, we really appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And um, we'll be back later this week to uh, give you some names to watch, some guys who excelled some under-the-radar guys who excelled in week two. And, uh, of course, we'll be back uh, next week to recap week three. Yep, thanks as always for listening, and we'll be back later this week with another episode of the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast, only on Patreon. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. That just something kind of what I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know, uh, subscribe and give us a five star review. Sign up for our Patreon. It's two dollars 
a month for our bonus episodes, four dollars a month for all additional content, something like that. Yeah, we should work on something like that. That could be it right a, there. A, a read, yeah. That's it. Right there. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>